This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? It's Ray Harkins, and you are tuning in, tuning like you're listening to a radio, <laughs> to 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I am ever present here to bring you people who are involved in independent music, whether that is playing in bands, running record labels, all that other fun stuff that uh, we all like to contribute to. And uh, today is, I'm very excited because this is a friend who I've had for quite some time. I was going to say old friend, but no, I don't have old friends. I just have friends that I've known for a long time. <laughs> Donnie Phillips. He, uh, once upon a time, was the drummer for a hardcore band called The Warriors, who were extremely popular. And, um, you know, still play some shows here and there and writing new stuff from what I understand. And uh, he transitioned his band design life into a full-time gig at Warner Brothers Records doing design work and then now uh, runs his own studio from Durango, Colorado, where he works on like, you know, some really small projects like the new Eminem and, you know, Alice in Chains, some other small stuff, right? But uh, I, I just really love people that have come from our world and have the all the aesthetic stuff of our independent music scene rattling around in their heads as they continue to work with artists that, you know, might not have come from our scene or have any context for <laughs> where, where it is we're coming from. But anyways, that's what we got going on. And uh, what else do I got to tell you about? Noecho.net. You got to visit them. They are a great website that uh, discusses all of the punk hardcore happenings, not from a news perspective, but just like a really in-depth interviews. And uh, it's a great site. You need to check them out immediately. And what else do I need to tell you? I need to tell you to have a good holiday, a happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, whatever it is you celebrate. I hope it's it's rad because this is the time of the year where obviously you're supposed to slow down and reflect on your past year and do all that fun stuff. But I just ultimately want you to slow down. Just take a minute to breathe. Look at the things that matter around you. Hold those things close and uh, tell the people that you love that you love them. Because that's the it's I know it sounds like such a cliche or it's like, oh, hey, you gotta tell people you love them. You hear that crap all the time. But like you legitimately need to tell people on an almost daily basis, whether it's family members or friends or whatever, that you love them. And don't be afraid to use that word because I know that it's always weird. Some people are like, oh, I can't say I love that person. And, you know, it may make them feel uncomfortable if I say love. No, like, it, yes, it may initially the first time or two, but the more you do it, the more it reinforces it. And uh, yeah, I just firmly believe in that. So do that. Spread that positivity and spread that love. And uh, next week, uh, I was originally going to take it off, but uh, we're going to have a special episode. I did a very cool sort of roundtable discussion while I was on tour in Canada with the rest of the guys in my band, Taken. And I don't know. I just I, I was like, this this will be fun. This will be on our drive from Montreal back to Toronto, and we just kind of chopped it up. I asked some, you know, leading questions, uh, about, you know, playing live and being in a band. And then we kind of, you know, went off a bunch of different tangents, but it was a, uh, it was a, it was a really fun chat. And um, frankly, it was insightful for me to get to know some people who I've spent, you know, a majority of my life with either in vans or playing in bands. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was great. And I just think it's also a very good reflection on why, why we stay involved with this stuff as we get older because you know we can bail out at this point but nah man nah brah <laughs> so yeah those are all the business pleasantries um you should actually everyone tell a friend about this podcast tell a friend about jabberjaw media tell a friend that you should be listening to this particular show or shows that are like this because podcasting is at such an interesting juncture in the media landscape where you know everyone has their own opinions on what's good and what's not and the only way that people kind of sort through that is personal recommendation yeah you can have a million algorithms spitting stuff out at you and they're probably right a majority of the time but nothing beats a friend being like yo you need to check this out it's like oh yeah and then if you hear about it again it's like oh my gosh i have to check it out now two people telling you to check out something that's like what happens to me someone says hey you should listen to this band i'm like okay cool i'll put it on my agenda and then i don't listen to it and then someone else goes hey you should listen to this i'm like you know what? Yes, I do. I absolutely do. So do that for a friend this holiday season. And um, yeah, like I said, Donnie, great chat. 
played drums in the Warriors. And um, it was just a, a really, really fun conversation that we had about uh, the artistic process and everything else. So here is Donnie, and I'll talk to you after the episode is over. I, I think, honestly, and you can correct me if I am wrong, but I think the first time that we actually sort of formally met, you know, shook hands, is uh, I'm taking you back to, um, I think, it possibly was in Fresno. So I, okay, here, and tell me if this triggers a memory. So okay. I, I took the band Glass Casket on tour because yeah. I, yeah because i you know they had never toured before and like i was working at century media and you know they were just children and i was like i don't and you know they were a band that was doing really well for us so i was like i don't want their first experience on the road to be like something that they are just like terrified of you know and so anyways glass casket was on tour with the warriors and i think the first time we met was at that particular I don't think it was the first show or it might have been I don't know but I just remember I think I remember meeting you there because like either you were doing merch or something like that and I was like oh yeah like you know I know of your band and you know you, you seemed like a cool dude but um I don't know if that triggers a well I had you fooled because I'm not cool number right. one and dude I feel like I knew you before your century media days though because like I remember when you got that gig and everyone was like whoa Ray's like the man he, he works at century media all this stuff you know so like I think I think my at least my knowledge of you predates your century media days I I, I don't know it really has been a long time no it has it has but I mean I think like I mean as probably you experience on a you know weekly basis where there are people that you know but like you might not have ever met and so i that totally, like, totally. i was aware like i was aware of you prior to that but it was one of those first things where it's like oh cool like you're you know you're that dude that is like i've just you know known of you for a while yeah you 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 were uh you were a scene celebrity uh, and and I, I don't know. I don't know if people know this about it. Well, they, I know people are familiar with Taken and all that stuff. But you know, growing up in the Southern California hardcore scene, uh, going to shows at Che and you know Chain Reaction and all that stuff, you were you were kind of a man among men. You know, like you, you had this like really huge personality that I always looked up to and. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's hard to put my finger on it, but you were a man of note, you know. So well, I you know, I appreciate, get, get, I appreciate that. Yeah, it, it, dude. Like, I mean, you think you're interviewing me today, but I want to interview you as much as uh, <laughs> it, you, you know, because like, there's so much. Like, I've known you for years, but there's stuff I don't know. Uh, like, I, I'd like to go deeper with you, you know, because like, you're the guy with with the biggest smile on his face every time we're in a room together. And uh, I, I want to decode that. I want to know what makes you tick. And I mean, following the podcast, I definitely get a better sense of that. Yeah. But, uh, but you're an interesting dude. Well, I, I appreciate that. We can, we can ping pong back and forth, whatever you want to know. But the, 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm going to turn every question around, dude. Watch that's, it. Watch that's, it happen. that's fine. I'm into that. But the, uh, the the thing that you know struck me about meeting you and on that tour in particular i kind of felt you know even though um that was you know ostensibly towards the end of my touring life and you know i mean i toured a little with makoto as well but like i really i really felt like that type of touring was kind of shifting from what i knew in regards to like technology and you know being able to like not have a you know a an atlas with you and you could just use your phone or gps or whatever well not your phone I, at that time. I, I don't know how we did it yeah i remember my brother like day before tour printing out uh map quests you know printouts and just having a giant folder and if you lost that folder you're totally screwed and half the time you'd get so lost that that folder didn't do you much good you know <laughs> and, and you have to ask, you had to actually stop and ask for directions i mean you, you know all that stuff it's 
Yeah. Well, no, I, I, but the reason I bring that up is like, I, I just felt a shift there. And I mean, since you lived in both of those worlds as well, you kind of, you know, yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, did you feel, I guess, kind of the evolution of touring as you were, you know, kind of into it just because it was sort of that tipping point of those early 2000s years? Well, totally. I, I remember uh, Internal Affairs got signed to Malfunction at the same time Warriors got signed to Eulogy. And we, we were comparing, uh, like, deals together, me and uh, me and uh, Corey. And Corey was, like, super pumped because Malfunction just bought him the brand new iPod. And he was like, dude, we could play music for, like, you know, X amount of days straight without repeating a single track. And I was like, why didn't Eulogy buy us an iPod, you know? Like, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, um, it, yeah, so like Dennis and Corey were super just like rubbing it in our faces that they got the iPod. But uh, Eulogy helped us with the van. Uh, but it, as far as technology is concerned, I mean, I, I only toured with Warriors for about two years. And uh, in, in that window of time, I would say that I was operating more in the old school, you know, um, uh, as far as like, you know, smartphones, like I, I think Javi had one of those sidekicks that flipped, you know, the screen kind of flipped around, but, uh, I don't think that was equipped with maps or anything like that. So, I mean, as far as the technological shift is concerned, um, yeah, technology didn't help us much, man. but but it definitely happened as soon as i quit the band and they started touring like europe and like doing all that stuff um they they were able to utilize technology much to their advantage for sure so yeah i mean it it, it was a crazy time to be doing what we were doing for sure yeah absolutely um and you know i mean we'll we'll discuss more of your band life in a little bit but you know kind of shifting the focus on you personally sure were you you know you and your brother came up did you come up into hatchapi or did you come up in oh did is that correct or no yeah 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 Tatchapi, weird weird little town it's it, it was a great place to grow up for sure um small town most of people's parents were either employed by the air force base the, the wind farms that are there or the prison. There's like a maximum security prison there. So it, it, it was it was a cool place to grow up too because like most people's, like we were all kind of like latchkey kids, you know, because everyone's parents like worked late or, you know, if they worked at the prison, a lot of them were working graveyard shifts. So we, we kind of ran amok and it was a great place to run amok because like the natural beauty there is, uh, you know, unparalleled if you look at places like Bakersfield or Lancaster, the two bigger cities that sandwich to Hatchby in the mountain range uh, in between those two, like really, you know, kind of crummy cities, uh, it, you know, it, it could have been a, a, a worse upbringing for sure. It was, it was a cool place to run around. Yeah, that's true. I actually, I've never really reflected on Tehachapi like that, where, you know, it is that sort of, you know, rural, suburb you know even though that doesn't those two words don't necessarily make sense together but it 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 like you said it has that natural beauty that is the desert and it doesn't you know like you can't compare it to you know (laughs) fresno bakersfield all these cities that kind of feel just like you said sort of you know in run down in certain respects and like no one goes there to be like oh man i love bakersfield can't wait to visit there (laughs) yeah totally but to hatchapi has more of that kind of you know, no people don't know about it necessarily, but when they go there, it's like, oh, it's a pretty cool city. Yeah, so yeah, Tatchby, it's like, I mean, there, there's some Native American history there too. You know, it's a railroad town, so I mean, the the history is pretty rich in that area, and uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't change my upbringing for anything. You know, in, in the mid '90s, like early '90s, mid '90s. Uh, there was a lot of white flight from Bakersfield in, in Lancaster uh, to Tehachapi. And with white flight, there's uh, obviously grounds for a punk and hardcore scene. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you look at, you know, Orange County's history and stuff like it's there's some parallels there, you know. Um, but it, it was 
it, it was like I'm, I'm grateful that there was some sort of scene for such a small town for it to have like such a a, a vibrant a small but vibrant punk and hardcore scene that that changed everything for me you know as a designer as a musician as a human being right no absolutely it's cool and it, 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 correct me if i'm wrong you're uh, is your brother your twin brother or is he just an older younger brother he's, he's my twin brother okay Danny, that's what, i just wanted to make sure. brother i do have a I, I do have a younger brother mikey who's also a uh, musician and designer in, in his own right but uh yeah danny's my twin that and so that you know that's a weird experience like how i mean you know you cl- clearly you're you know incredibly close to your brother but um you know was it one of those things that you i mean you know you you knew your life as it is it's not like you had anything to compare and contrast but what was it always kind of the token like Oh look, there's those twin brothers from Tehachapi. Like you guys never. Well, we're we're like we're fake twins, right? So we're we're fraternal. We we don't really look like each other. I mean, we probably look. We probably looked more like each other back then. I mean, I have longer hair and a beard, and my brother's super clean cut now. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, we we were always we always had our hands and stuff. You know, whether it be music or or uh, art and stuff in our hometown. So, I mean, we had, like, a decent reputation. Um, but it was weird. We grew up with a lot of twins. There was a lot of twins in Tehachapi. Some of our best friends growing up were twins. Uh, That's weird, it, dude. Yeah, it's, it's really – I don't know if there was something in the water or right. – you know, like fertility drugs were just like yeah. were just flying off the shelves or what? Like I, I, I don't know, but yeah, we grew up with a lot of twins. So I mean, we certainly and we we grew up with some uh, identical twins who who uh, uh, I, I I don't know they, they they probably were more novel I guess you know because they do look like each other, but we we couldn't like you know take tests for each other or anything like that so so yeah and i don't feel his pain you know he could have a broken leg right now and i wouldn't know yeah right no that's i mean that makes sense where you know you even though you were you know twins like yeah you could exist because i mean so many people you see that are you know the kind of identical twins like it's hard like you have not only do you have to um you know work hard to you know, live outside of your parent's shadow with whatever it is that they're doing and forging your own path. But then on top of that, you also have to, you know, forge your own path separate from this person that looks exactly totally. like you. I mean, in, in the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and there was definitely that, you know, I, I think at an early age, my brother and I were separated. Like we had to go to different schools because our kindergarten teacher thought we were too codependent. Um, so, so we went to different schools in first grade and I guess that was an exercise in, in, uh, establishing our independence and our own identity and all that. And I think in retrospect, it was probably a good idea. Right, right. No, that, that is, I, 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 that's a pretty astute of the teacher to realize like, Hey, they'll, you know, they both will benefit from, you know, not having each other by their side throughout every yeah, step it's, it's 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 weird when teachers know what they're doing yeah you know what I mean? or care care enough to like do something for their students yeah i, I think maybe that was a uh I, I, I don't know maybe that's like old school thinking no no that's that's i mean i think that's incredible that no i love i love i love every and all teacher anybody who teaches like i got mad respect for but i mean the, you know you, you had teachers i'm sure growing up that probably shouldn't have been teaching absolutely it was just a job it wasn't a college <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. casper oh my gosh i love casper so much and what is Casper? Is it is it a friendly ghost? Of course it is. But it is also a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. They got three different models, the original Casper, the Wave, and the Essential. All of the mattresses are perfectly designed to soothe and cradle your natural geometry. Did you know you were geometric? Well, I, I did, but you know that's beside the point. And not to mention, they have an insanely breathable design that helps you sleep cool and regulates your body temperature throughout the night and it's delivered right to your door in a small how do they fit that in their sized box with free shipping and returns in the u.s and canada the best part is that you can be sure of your purchase because they have a hundred night risk-free 
sleep on it trial. It's amazing. And after all, you spend one third of your life sleeping, so why not be comfortable? I just recently got another Casper mattress for my house that I'm moving into. I unboxed it with my son. It was the coolest because basically it's like it it comes to life essentially. It starts to breathe and it starts to like stretch out. And my son loved laying on it. I loved laying on it. And oh man, I just, I cannot recommend Casper enough. Please start sleeping ahead of the curve with Casper. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash words and using the code words at checkout. That's casper.com slash words. Offer code words for $50 off. I'm giving you $50 in your pocket right now. Okay. Just let me, let me do that for you. Terms and conditions, of course, apply, but Real Talk, Casper is amazing. They're supporting the show. I love what they do. I just want to, I'm so excited to tell you about it. So buy a Casper and love your sleep, okay? Now on the show. You know, the sort of person that I per, I have always known you to be is, uh, you know, and why I, I, I think I've always got along with you and I've always, you know, enjoyed seeing you and having conversations with you is that, you know, you are, and th- this is a very fine line, I think, where you are you know, outgoing and you are, uh, you know, I use the word overly friendly where, you know, some people might be put off by that and be like, dude, like calm down. But the key, but, but the key fact is like, you're not a punisher, you know, like, you know, those people who are just going to like, you know, Oh dude, I can't talk to, I can't talk to Donnie right now. I, I, otherwise like I'm here for another two hours. Like I can't do that. Um, has that always kind of been who you are or is that something that, you know, it, it started to develop as you, you know, broke out of your shell? Well, man, I, I appreciate that observation. I, I don't, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm the same person uh, I was when I was in first grade to a certain degree. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I, I, I like to, to make people feel included. I guess is is the right way to put it. Um, I, maybe maybe growing up with a twin. I, I was able to kind of make those kind of social. It, I, I'm good at like social cues, I guess. If I if I were to pat myself on the back for anything, like sure. I don't know. I, I know I, I can sense if somebody's feeling sad. I know when to comfort somebody. If somebody's feeling uh, angry, I can generally talk them down. You know that sort of thing. If that answers your question, yeah, no, that's I mean, that's a good quality because I do think that some people. Um, you know, either that's just something they don't pay attention to by choice or it's kind of hardwired in them. But, you know, I, I, I identify with you in that where, you know, when you walk into a room and you're kind of, you know, seeing where everybody's, you know, temperature is, so to speak, you do like some people are just more sensitive to that. And uh, that, that's cool that you have that sensitivity where you're just like, oh, man, that person's bummed. Let me see if I can help. Can we can we fight crime with that ability? Can we can we channel that into something like really socially re- redemptive? Yeah, the the overly empathetic. Uh, <laughs> you notice if someone like you know scowls at another person, and then yeah, you just have to step in and be like, no, you didn't need to do that. Yeah, yeah, I'm into that. Let's do that. Yeah, that, that that's funny. Um, but so, I mean, that, that's cool that you've always, I, I guess, just had that general disposition. Um, and I'm, I'm guess I'm guessing because of that too, like as you were going through school, um, you know, you were, uh, I guess maybe generally liked and you were able to kind of, you know, go in between different, you know, uh, I guess archetypes of what exist in high school, whether it's like, you know, oh yeah, you can hang out with the jocks and you can also hang out with the kids who are obviously into aggressive music. Yeah. It's funny. i like I, I didn't really notice that much like delineation in my high school between social groups because it, there was a lot of bleed over. Like a lot of the jocks listened to Blink One Eighty Two, and you know what I mean. So like, in I, I grew up with a lot of kids who just like loved Ten Yard Fight and joined the football team because they wanted to like live that fantasy or something. You know what I mean? I, I me being one of them in freshman year, like I just wanted to to uh my buddy day joined the football team because he was like super in the 10 yard fight and stuff and he ended up being really good at football and i ended up being really terrible at it and uh i i didn't play much in the games but uh 
uh, I got that under my belt. You know, <laughs> well, I, I lived to tell the tale at least. Yeah, exactly. You were on the field and you were able to, you know, run around and not die. <laughs> that was totally me for sure. Um, and so, I, I mean, I do think I want to pull on a thread there where, you know, just probably due to the fact that, you know, Tehachapi is a, a smaller town and there wasn't a lot of choice in regards to who you were surrounded by, you know, you, you had, I mean, most people go through the experience of, you know, whatever they're surrounded by in high school. But, you know, when you live in a larger suburb or city, there's, you know, maybe more choices of friend groups to attach yourself to. Um, yeah. But it, I, I guess, you know, I, I just find it interesting that, you know, hardcore seems so, or hardcore and punk seem kind of so pervasive in that community. Um, you know, have you ever kind of paid attention to, I guess, why that was, or was it just like friends influencing each other? Yeah, it's all Andy Franchier's fault. He got everybody. Well, so he and some of his old friends started a uh, a band called Die Hard Youth, who you, I'm sure you are familiar with. Absolutely. Uh, they, they, and, and they played this battle of the bands. And you know how those battle of the bands go. Like uh, just your typical local battle of the bands. There were some bands that sounded like corn. There was some like ska bands and stuff and then uh die hard youth took the stage and my brother and i were about shoot i don't know like 12 years old or something maybe 13 and um you know i and they, and they got up there and they were they were a real hardcore band and they had their friends singing along and finger pointing and wearing sports gear and stuff and i thought it was the coolest thing i i, I think this show in particular they were playing under the name uh, new thugs on the block or something, That's which eventually turned into Die Hard Youth. But uh, uh, it, just the energy energy of it was so infectious, and and it, you know it was just like a totally different vibe from you know the new metal bands and ska bands that were playing that night. And uh, you know it, it wouldn't be until years later where I would meet Andy and uh, he would put us you know the Warriors on our on our first show. And, uh, you know, the rest is kind of local history or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, it, it was crazy. Like, har- hardcore was a, was a, it, it was a viable, like, social kind of uh, uh, activity. Like, activity, yeah. Like, I mean, if you skateboarded in the mid nineties, chances are you would run into somebody wearing like a snap case shirt or something. And, you know, and it was just like, like both kind of went hand in hand, you know what I mean? Like, like many people like skateboarding leads to listening to a song on a skate video or, or hanging out with older kids that are listening to hardcore or punk or whatever. And, and that was definitely the case for my twin brother Danny and I, um, and I'm, I'm so grateful for that experience because uh, you know Tatchby, especially like you know the Tatchby hardcore scene, we're all like super super close friends still. You know, like we're all in group texts daily, uh, and these are people like you know I've been friends with for God like over 20 years some of them you know since like elementary school and having that shared experience driving down to ohio or uh you know the smell or whatever like driving to these shows together those are like formidable bonding experiences that i wouldn't trade for the world no that's so cool i love i love to hear all that just because it is so it, 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 it honestly it's like whimsical is a word i would use just to describe it because you know it was so you know there was one person who was kind of spearheading the influence and it wasn't and it wasn't coming from some place of like um you know like a weird power trip where it's just like oh you know like i'm i want to be the person who's you know quote unquote rule in the scene because obviously anybody that has ever met andy in their life would know like totally. no, that, that guy's not even remotely close to that but he's no, like, andy, andy's the kind of dude who would be like hey dude c- c- come to a show and i'm like you don't know me like i'm a 12 year old kid he's like no no no, no. You're, you're gonna have fun like do you need a ride well i'll, I'll pick you up in the van like we'll, we'll go to the show or like Oh, that kid can't go because he can't afford like the entrance fee. Like I knew multiple times, like Andy saying, "No, he he's getting in for free. Let's go." You know, like I know his mom's having a hard time or whatever. You know, so it's like I, I mean, dude, like talk about 
just like a natural leader. You know what I mean? He, without him, and, and without this like formidable, this formative experience in the hardcore scene, I think it's kept a lot of us like alive. To be honest. You know, like there's a lot of drugs, you know, like the typical seedy stuff that happens in a small railroad town. Um, It it kept us like free and clear of a lot of that stuff. And, you know, I mean, we have some friends that, that, you know, have some problems and stuff. But I think a lot of those people who have problems now wouldn't even be here with us, you know, if it wasn't for for music and that's why I love music so much and that's why as a designer I want to like attach myself to music as much as possible yeah no that's incredible I love I love that perspective and realizing how you know valuable that stuff is because I I think you know probably this you would echo the sentiment where it's like nothing bums me out more than you know as people get older and they look on the stuff that they were into when they were younger as being you know trivial or trite and and it's like you know yes like you could argue that you know maybe some of your tastes aren't as evolved as you are when you're in your mid-30s but like that doesn't matter it's like dude the, all like you said, all those you know, endless nights of driving to shows and you know, just bonding with people like yep. that's yep. that's real, and not everybody gets to experience that. No, and, and we're growing up in a culture that doesn't have those those uh, you know those like rights of initiation. You know what I mean? For lack of a better word, for from a youth or like like a teen to becoming a man. You know, we, we don't we don't have those things. So to have to have hardcore and to have friends that that have that shared kind of formative experience. Like, I feel like we all went from being kids to being men, as cheesy as that is, because of that that shared experience. You know, that that was and, and that's why we're all still so close. Like, I feel bad for for kids growing up that don't don't have anything analogous to that, you know, like like what what do kids do? Like what do you what do you do in a small town if you don't have music? Yeah, totally, totally. Um, <laughs> yeah, and kind of you know on on that notion where um, what was was the Warriors kind of your first band, or did you and your brother do something before that? I, we, we would like jam out in garages and stuff, but no, I mean, Warriors was was my brother and I's first and last band. Uh, you know, we we formed in high school with Marshall, Mike, and Hobby, and uh, it, it was it was great. You know, like we put out a seven inch. You know, our like guitar playing hero Victor Cara from Inside Out produced our first seven inch. So, I mean, that alone, like, we could have stopped after that and we would have been stoked. But then we ended up doing two LPs. And then uh, my brother and I quit the band. Danny went to Otis College of Art and Design. Um, I was less keen on, like, the touring kind of lifestyle. And uh, that's when uh, we, we met some people at Warner Brothers Records who were like interested in the warriors, believe it or not. I mean, it, it was a, it was a brief kind of interest, you know, sure. but, uh, but that's when I met some people at Warner brothers records. I met a kid named uh, Steve Morales, who's still like a dear friend of mine who, uh, was working in the street marketing department who was trying to pitch us to the A&R department. And uh, when he found out that I was quitting the band, he was like, hey, you, you do all the design for your band, right? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, hey, we're looking for a designer. So when Danny went to school at Otis, I quit Warriors and I got the gig at uh, Warner Brothers Records, where I started as a, a, a designer in the street marketing department. Right. That's cool. I love all those, you know, sort of relationships that get formed in random places that you wouldn't expect it to be. Um, And, you know, I I guess when you first started playing out, and like you said, you know, recording a seven inch and starting to get shows and everything, was it, um, did you ever have the sense in your head that like, okay, like being in a band is all I'm going to pursue? Because like you mentioned, you know, you you toured with the Warriors for about two or so years before, you know, you left. Um, Or was a band just always kind of like, 
oh yeah, this is just something I'm going to do. Like, I don't have the, um, you know, quote unquote dreams of, uh, you know, being a rock star or whatever. No, we, we were out for money, dude. We were only in the I mean, I, I hear you ask this question to a lot of your guests and, and like, I, I wish I could give you an antithesis answer, but it's, it's pretty on par with what most people would say. I mean, like we, we started the band in high school. We just, we wanted to play shows with diehard youth and, and, uh, Andy was really supportive and, you know, we did the seven inch and then we got to do our LP with Roger Camaro, who was like, he, he played, uh, he played bass and drums in no motive, the band, no motive in, uh, a band who I loved. And so like meeting Roger and him producing our first, uh, full length, um, getting signed to eulogy and buying us a van, like all that stuff was so surreal, you know? Um, and Roger ended up joining the warriors later on. And he's, he's kind of like the primary, uh, songwriter for them now. I mean, I, they're not super active now. Um, but, uh, I think they just confirmed the fest. I don't know if it's public knowledge, but they are playing a show, uh, this year, which is pretty cool. I'm glad to see that they're still doing stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, dude, like making a career of it, no way was that even a possibility. Like, I, for me, at best case scenario, it was going to be my ticket to see the country and just travel and be with my friends and and uh, play music, you know. Yeah, that, that was just you, you were kind of uh, you know just collecting experiences as opposed to you know, trying to angle this into, you know, the business plan for the next, you know, five to seven years or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it was crazy. Like my brother and I, um, were both kind of like the business dudes in the band. Like we were always kind of like spearheading and organizing and, and getting stuff printed and, you know, designing merch and all that stuff. And after we left the band, Javier Zarati, who, who's the, the, the guitar player the fucking coolest dude ever um he he took over the business end and like totally killed it like he's like business uh like guru now you know what i mean like not only did he take like the warriors to the next level like you know with international touring and all this stuff but you know he's he's a really successful business dude in the private sector now you know um in, in like the, the cannabis industry, in the merch industry, he, he started Modern Made Merch. So, I mean, like th- these were the dudes I was in a van with, you know what I mean? Like I was super inspired like every day just hanging out with these guys. Yeah, no, that's super cool, especially when people are driven regardless of yeah. you know, what it is that they're they're driven to do. Um, you just get, you get inspired by that where it's just like, Oh cool. Like we're all working on the band stuff, but then it's cool. You have all this other stuff and you're like the merch guy. And then, you know, the other guy in the band is the, you know, songwriter and the other person is, you know, the, the guy who talks to the record label or whatever. It's cool when everyone's pulling their own weight, you know? Yeah. I mean, like doing what we did, uh, you know, no one was asking for permission to do it. You know what I mean? We were just doing it. And, uh, and I think that's why you see so many like successful people and personalities come out of this scene, you know, it's, 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 I don't know. It's just like, it's, it's underground culture that eventually permeates pop culture. You know, there's this like kind of secret brotherhood of like punk and hardcore kids, like just totally killing it in every industry now. It's so cool to see. It is. Yeah, for sure. And like all this, all those principles were learned, you know, doing the same things that we were all doing. It's like, it's just so, yeah, it is inspiring. Yeah, man. And it's all Siv and Toby Morris and like, fucking Shaka's fault, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're, we're so lucky to have those lyrics to peruse as, as preteens and teens, you know, whether it's, you know, getting into veganism or straight edge, whatever it was, whatever, like positive life choice, like you were able to glean from it without that music, you know, I could very easily be doing math under a bridge right now. <laughs> totally. Totally. Um, and, and where did the, um, you know, cause like you said, you, you were doing a lot of the, you know, graphic stuff for the band, whether it's, you know, the merch or the record designs and stuff like that. Um, 
how did you get attracted to that, that in the first place? Like, you know, I mean, clearly there's usually one person yeah. in the band that kind of, you know, does that, but you know, how, how did you end up being that guy? Well, that was always my favorite part of being in a band. Like I wasn't that good of a drummer. I, I, I'm not, <laughs> you know, but like I wanted to design like the seven inch and I wanted to do, you know, the hoodies and like whatever it was like, that was always my favorite, favorite part. So, and, and that's what I felt like my contribution to the band really was, you know, like we were playing songs that we played for years and I was just botching them, <laughs> but they're like, whatever, he designed a cool t-shirt, like we'll keep him around, you know? So, so yeah, I mean, that, that was always my f- favorite aspect of it. And I'm just like lucky enough to have made it a career since then. Got it. Got it. But I guess like when you first started messing around with it, was it just one of those things that like, you know, once you opened up, you know, InDesign, you're like, oh man, I'm in love with this. Or was it like, oh, this is kind of fun. I'll play around with it. And then you grew to love it more. Dude, it was just like, it was looking at other bands, layouts and t-shirts and stuff and being like, dude, their stuff looks way better than ours. Like, how do I, how do I do that? You know, I I guess it was like a a competitive bone that, that got me to keep, you know, plugging away at InDesign and Illustrator and all that stuff, just trying to replicate like the cool art I was seeing on the album covers, like I grew up with. You know, um, it was it was certainly a, a long and painful process. You know, kind of honing my skills or whatever, uh, but like I'm glad I stuck with it for sure. Oh boy, Rockabilia.com. So. You've heard me talk about them in the past couple episodes, but Rockabilia is your literal best place for merch on the web. And what I'm giving you right now is 15% off. So use this code PC100, that's the number, words or less. That equals 15% off. And it basically, there are amazing things about Rockabilia that I want to let you know about. For one, every design is licensed by the band. So they're getting paid the royalties. It's essentially... Buy, it's like buying a shirt at a show, except there's you know a little more intricacies behind it because uh, you know you get it shipped to you straight at home. They have over five hundred thousand different items from bands as wide variety genre as like you know you got your mastodons, you got your newfound glories. It, trust me, you will find something you like here. I've ordered stuff from them. Shipping's great. Customer service is great. I can't say enough good things about Rockabilia. So go to rockabilia.com. Use the code PC, 100 words or less, which is obviously the name of the show, and you will enjoy 15% off, okay? Please. Rockabilly is the best place to buy merch online. Don't be fooled by all these ridiculous bootleg companies that, frankly, just don't pay bands, and that's the worst thing ever. So you need to go to Rockabilly, okay? 15% off. Enjoy. All right? Now on the show. And did you, um, <clears throat> after you graduated high school, like, did you, did you go to college? Did you, you know, I guess, uh, try to hone your discipline from the schooling perspective or was it basically just all like, uh, I'm not, I'm not doing school. I'm just, you know, touring and putting stuff together on my own. No, no real disrespect to school. Um, uh, but uh, that, that wasn't really my path, you know. Um, my brother, like I said, like with the Warriors because he got uh, a, like a great scholarship to go to Otis College of Art and Design in L.A. And uh, so when, when he went to school and I quit the band, Danny would come home and he would kind of like teach me the stuff he was learning in, in class that day. So I kind of got the secondhand education and I was also dating a girl who was going to the same school. So between the two, um, it was a lot of learning by diffusion. Danny, Danny would teach me, you know, clipping masks or whatever, like kind of rudimentary Photoshop stuff he was learning in, in class that day. And, and uh Mika would like come home and tell me like oh you should check out like Barbara Kruger or like whatever artists you know uh popped up on in art history or whatever that day so like I I would get a lot of that information just through the people I was hanging out with you know and and I have like a a natural tendency to like look into stuff that I'm interested in. So um, I'm glad I don't have the student debt to pay off, <laughs> you know, right now. And uh, it, 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 it's not, not to say I wouldn't benefit from like a, a formal education, but um, I've been able to get by for sure. No, that's cool. 
And you, and you got you started working for Warner Brothers when you were like what twenty twenty one is that when you kind of dove in? Yeah, no, I wasn't of legal drinking age, so I, I think it was uh, I think I was twenty when I first got the gig. So I remember being at a, uh, a company function and not being able to drink, like I couldn't order a drink or something. Uh, but yeah, so I, w- I was twenty and I ended up working there for seven years, seven plus years. That's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, as you, um, you know, cause that, that's, you know, clearly a, a big boy job where, you know, you get, you know, benefits and a business card and stuff like that, that makes you, you know, legitimate in society's eyes. Um, were you, you know, were you, I guess, fearful going into, you know, even though it's a world of artistic and creative people, you know, were you nervous at all entering that knowing that you were going to be working with people who might not have any context for, you know, where you come from and kind of the, the note, not saying that like, Oh, you're coming in there with this superiority complex, but like, Oh man, I'm going to be working with like quote unquote normal people. Like hopefully they, they get roughly where I'm coming from. Yeah. You know, it, it was weird. I mean, gr- growing up in independent music, I had this kind of demonized, uh, view of the major label system and this was definitely my first real job, quote unquote. I mean, I worked at Jamba Juice for a hot second in Belmont Shore in uh, Long Beach. Uh, that's where I met Derek Crossley. Whole whole other story, straight on record. Shout out. But uh, we uh, we uh, uh, what was I even saying? Okay, so so like I had this really demonized view of the major league system. So like getting the gig there, I was kind of like, oh dude, I'm like fully infiltrating this like evil you know, corporate and I'm just going to like, you know, you know, I'll work here for a couple years and I'll learn the insides and outs and then I'll start my own label or something. You know what I mean? But like when I got in there, like I only met people who loved music and like listened to the same stuff I was listening to. You know what I mean? It was weird. I was like, what, what is going on here? Like it, it, it kind of caught me off guard. Like I thought I was, I thought I was hated to be honest when I first got the job at Warner um, but I was hanging out with like-minded people. We were just listening to music, working on like street campaigns for, for some pretty like big bands. So, I mean, it, it was a great experience. And then I eventually, uh, took the interest of the head of the arts department, Ellen Wakayama at the time. And she saw some of the stickers and posters I was designing and stuff, you know, some like basic stuff, but she was like, Hey, would you like to work in our uh, department, you know, like the proper art department. And I was like, yeah, of course. She's like, well, bring some of your stuff over uh, and, and we'll, you know, discuss the opportunity. And so the only thing to my credit at that point, as far as music packaging was concerned, was stuff I did for Warriors and other hardcore bands like Vendetta. And, and, you know, stuff with just like skulls and like weird stuff on it, you know, just really rudimentarily like put together. So like I, I only had a stack of hardcore CDs going into Warner Brothers Records to show for myself. And I mean, it was enough to get the gig, but I, I think they knew where I was coming from. Uh, Frank Maddox was like a big like champion. He, he's he's done you know, countless like epic records for Lincoln Park, Deftones. He's like Deftones go to art director. Um, a guy I really, really look up to now, but then as well, he was kind of this like mythic character for me. Um, he, he saw the stuff I was doing and, and he probably thought it was more funny than good, you know, but, uh, yeah, he, he championed, uh, me getting into the department and stuff. So that, that was really cool, man. Like it, it, it felt like a family then and it still does. No, it's really cool. Especially too, cause I, I'm sure there were projects that you got put on that you were, you know, incredibly intimidated to dive into whether or not it's sure. Yeah. Whether, whether it's like, you know, communicating with the artist to make sure like, dude, I better not bum, you know, this person out. Um, do you, you know, do you have like a random one? a random story of, you know, some of the, an early project that you were like terrified to put. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So like one of my first packages I did was for disturbed. It was their, it was their album asylum. And, uh, 
I was super nervous because like I had to meet with David Draymond, the singer and the whole band. And I was like this little eager kid trying to, I mean, it was probably only like, nah, it was probably like seven years, seven, six, seven, eight years ago. I don't even know. But, uh, you know, it, it was really intimidating because like, I mean, I only know disturbed by like their music videos and stuff like that. Real ornate jewelry coming out of his lip and stuff. Right. Uh, you know, so going into a meeting with them to discuss like art direction for that record, I, I it, it was the first time I'd ever gone through the process face to face with like a big band like that. Um, but I had to pitch them on like illustrators and different photographers that we were going to work with, and it went really well. And like David Draymond, the guy I was terrified of, was super nice. Uh, just uh i don't know nothing ever seems to go the way you think it's going to go so if like you're super nervous something's gonna go terribly wrong chances are it's gonna go right and then you know i've met with bands are like oh i I got this in the bag and just like there's i've never had any like personality conflicts definitely you know differences in opinion as far as like art direction is concerned and uh yeah i mean you just never know which way it's gonna swing yeah no that's right um what you know kind of focusing on like you know when you decided to leave the band like was that um you know i presume in in some respects that was a really difficult decision for you um or was it really or was it okay well it was it was really hard because i mean it's it's as far as my creative output, that was the most significant thing I had done in my life at that point was just doing those records and touring. And so I was, I was really proud of like the stuff we did together. Um, but you know, after touring for as long as I did, which wasn't that long, to be honest, I mean, it was, it was like a year and a half, two years of, you know, getting in the van, touring, waiting around, doing that whole thing. I, I just knew that that kind of wasn't for me. Um, you know, you, you meet dudes who are just like lifers, you know, like they have that personality where they could kind of survive and do it. And to be honest, dude, like back in the day, and you, you tell me, man, like bands like stick to your guns who have been doing it for like so, so long. Like we only had like, two bands to look up to as far as like a role model and a model like like sick of it all you know did it uh madball had been touring for years but like i feel like there's a lot more bands now who have been doing it as a career for a very long time bands like stick to your guns like i said like like it's so great to see that they've been able to make a living out of this thing. You know what I mean? Uh, but there wasn't a lot of bands making a living, you know, doing what we did back then. And, and again, it wasn't that long ago. We're talking like early mid two thousands. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I, well, I think that, you know, the, the, the thing that I've always tried to like look at is the fact that, there, you know, clearly there's a path in which you can, you know, live a life as a, a starving artist, you know, like where it's like, okay, I'm living, you know, in a closet for a hundred dollars a month. Like I'm going to build my life around the fact that there, you know, I, I, I can't have any expenses, you know? Um, but the, the thing that I know that when certain, you know, especially from a music perspective, certain scenes are emerging, it didn't like, you couldn't even think about it in those terms because it wasn't like, uh, that there was even, you know, money to come in, you know, like that wasn't yeah. even, that wasn't even an option to be like, Oh, okay, well, you know, I can survive off $500 a month. And it's just like, well, no, like, like I can't in a world, in a world, I can't even imagine $500 coming to me, right, totally. bed, you know, but, but, but like, do you think there's more bands like doing it and making a decent living now more so than back then? Uh, I mean, it's hard. Or is is that just like me being like detached and kind of looking at things from an Instagram perspective? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, is is it just me looking in as opposed to like me being on the in back then? I think, no, I, I think that the, you know, the world hasn't changed so drastically to where, I mean, now there, like you said, there are bands that, you know, have set a precedent and a path, you know, cause like, I mean, like, like you said, the band that I always point to 
that you could look at where being like, wow, they were touring it and doing, you know, well, it was like, you know, poison the well kind of broke it open. Oh, uh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Because, yeah. You could point to bands, like you said, like sick of it all. And then, you know, in, in many respects, like hate breed and, you know, yeah, exactly. earth crisis, strife and snap case to a certain extent. But it wasn't until poison the well, where it was like, you know, you felt like they existed in the same, you know, relative universe. But then all of a sudden it's like, you know, when they're selling, you know what you sold five thousand dollars worth of merch in one night like wow i guess there is a you know there, there is a way to do this and like come home with you know a couple thousand dollars or whatever at the end of a tour but you know to your original question i do think it is it's still just as difficult especially too with the fact that you know there's everybody plays in a band um and there's you know no way to differentiate yourself from the five million other bands that exist plus all the bands that came before you as well um but i do think there is yeah i think there's go ahead no i was just gonna say i think to, to finish the thought i think there is more um willingness to um not willingness to sacrifice but the idea of like being able to you know like i said that example of you know five hundred dollars a month or whatever someone could have that in their head and be like well other like people have done that now where there there is a notion that that could exist so they can build their life around playing in a band and you know coming home with with five hundred dollars and being like that's fine like you know hopefully next time i'll come home with a thousand or whatever so right 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 yeah, man, it's it's interesting. I mean, I, I couldn't at that time imagine making a career of it. You know, I mean, it, the most that we could hope for, I think, would be to make some records that people cared about years later. And whether we did that or not, I, I don't know. But like it, that that alone would have been reward enough. Um, because I mean, bands that we really looked up to Snapcase, Earth Crisis, all that stuff, like at, at that point, all those bands were broken up. Well, well, no, I guess Snapcase was still touring and stuff, but in Earth Crisis has since reunion, you, you know, uh, are, are they a band? Are they still an active band? I know they've done like reunions and stuff, but, but, but anyway, you know, like we, we just wanted to put out some records and tour and that was it. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, last couple of things before I let you go was the, um, you know, it, it seems to me, you know, you're clearly you got your design, you know, chops and aesthetic by doing a lot of the band stuff and then, you know, working on a variety of projects at, you know, Warner Brothers. Um, <clears throat> was it, uh, you know, did you always have kind of the ambitions of, you know, where you're at now where it's like, you know, you, you are your own self-contained, you know, design house and, you know, you could, you, you have a, a, uh, you know, a resume that people are interested in working with you because you have all this, you know, previous work. Um, was that always kind of the thing or did you always want to kind of work, you know, attached to a mothership for as long as possible? Oh, no, I, my goal was always to kind of like go off and do my own thing. You know, I mean, three years ago when I left Warner to do kill studio full time, um, that was a huge jump and it was a huge like dream come true. Like whether I was going to land on my feet or not was kind of up in the air, but you know, three years later, you know, like, you know, I just did the new Eminem single. Like I'm working with like bigger and bigger names every day, but I still feel like I haven't like, uh, I don't know. Like there's still like so much like room for growth. You know, I, I feel like I'm still kind of chipping away at some sort of signature aesthetic, which seems to be like the end goal for a lot of designers. Like I'm certainly not there. Like I'm, I, you know, it, just the fact that I can make a living doing what I'm doing, I'm really, really grateful. But uh, yeah, I, I still feel like I'm kind of fumbling around in the dark. <laughs> You know, but it's, it's been really fun and, uh, really stressful, (laughs) you know, it's, it's all of those things, but you know, if I could wake up in the morning and get in front of my computer and make some art, uh, I, that's all I could really ask for, you know, life's been pretty kind. Yeah. Uh, that's really cool. Yeah. And especially like you said too, to be able to, you know, build, um, you know, build a pedigree outside of the context of, you know, being working at a label, you know, because I, I think some people, when they are attached to a certain thing for a long period of time, they are known to be that person and they have to work within a certain lane, you know. Um, but then now the fact that, you know, oh, yeah. 
but your your radar of things that you can work on can you know fall under a million different purviews as opposed to like no I can only take it because of this you know and it's like no I can do whatever I want yeah yeah I mean it's it, it in this culture so much of your own personal identity is rooted in your career or like the company you work for or whatever and uh I, I didn't think I really fell into that category until I pulled the plug at Warner when I told him I was leaving and, and, uh, and I still like, I'm, I'm on retainer with them too. So like, like I, I left it totally amicably and I still love all the people who work there. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, dude, like it was, it was kind of like a personality, like identity crisis leaving there because like for some years I was like Donnie who works at Warner, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah, totally. You, I mean, it, it, as cool as it is, but then, you know, you kind of get viewed as a, a one trick pony where it's just like, oh yeah, well that, that's the sort of stuff that he can do. And it's like, well, I can do, I can do different stuff. I just haven't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I've really, yeah, I've really been able to kind of like, you know, spread my wings as, in terms of like illustrating more, which is something like I'd rather do than just kind of, you know, standard issue art direction, you know, where I'm kind of, you know, hiring other illustrators or photographers or whatever. Yeah. So like, it's been fun to, to kind of spread my wings and just like live in, like, as soon as I quit Warner, my wife and I packed up and moved to Durango, Colorado. So we're based in Colorado. It's probably one of the more beautiful towns I've ever seen. And I'm lucky to live here and do what I do. Uh, yeah, man. Well, I, and I was I was gonna say the the, the last thing I was gonna uh, mention was the fact that you know the, it it is a, I mean it doesn't matter where you live you know because as long as you're connected to the internet and you can can't communicate with people it doesn't matter. But um, when I saw that you, you were going to Durango, I was like, I mean it makes sense from the you know sort of Tehachapi natural beauty to Durango natural sure, beauty. Yeah. But uh, you know that definitely is an unconventional move because usually people move from places like Durango to, you know, the Los Angeles area as opposed to vice versa. Um, you know, so I, I guess the, what was the attachment, the fact that like, Hey, I need to move to a place with the, you know, where I can have my headspace and uh, still be creative or, uh, was it just trying to get out of the rat race in, in many respects? Yeah. So it was all of those things, you know, I mean, I feel like, I did my time, you know, living in LA, like it, it, I'm grateful for my time there, but, um, you know, and I met a lot of cool people and, and was able to work at a, a label and, and be around music. And I definitely missed the venues and the easy access to, to culture, you know, not that there's not culture in Durango. There certainly is. There's a great art scene. There's, there's music and whatnot, but I mean, if I'm going to catch a show, I'm going to have to drive to Albuquerque or Denver, which are both, you know, significant drives from Durango because we're in like the Southwest corner of the state. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to, I wanted to get to the natural beauty, you know, in many ways, Durango's similar to Tehachapi, you know, it's a railroad town. It's, uh, it's in the mountains, but Durango has a vibe and Tatchby just for one reason or another hasn't been able to 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 get a vibe going man it's just there's a lot of sadness there I mean there's a lot of like redemptive things about Tatchby too I don't mean to be too disparaging like my parents still live there I always look forward to going back I have a lot of friends that live there um, Andy Franchier still lives there. He's a, he's a firefighter, you know, real life superhero guy. But, uh, but yeah, Ta- uh, Durango has a, a college, you know, so there's kind of like a younger scene. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a great place to live and work. And we found the house that's right for us. So we're buying a house here. And I have a beautiful view off the deck. And that's all I really need, man. I need, you know, I have a great relationship with my wife. Um, and we just got a little dog, <laughs> you know, life's looking pretty good, man. No complaints. That, no, that's really cool. I like that. Especially, you know, cause so many people look 
at uh, you know getting out of whatever their circumstances in regards to living in a you know larger city or attached to a larger suburb, and then be like, hey, I want to move to a place that like I can actually afford stuff. And it's like, oh yeah, like that's an option. Like as totally. long as you, as long yeah, as you still I mean, feel like you're attached to something. Totally. Like, yeah. And, and I need that. I need to feel attached. And like, I'm so grateful for all the projects that I still get. Most of the clients I work for are still in the LA area, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, re- I recommend it highly to anyone who just feels kind of like anonymous and lost and just kind of suffocating in a city setting. Like if, if you can do it, go somewhere smaller. And, you know, I mean, just to put stuff into perspective, we were paying, the same amount in rent uh, for a one-bedroom apartment in Santa Monica as we're paying for a two-story beautiful house on three acres in Durango. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a little different. Definitely more, yeah. yeah a, little, a little, little different vibe. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy. So yeah, man, you got to come visit, right? I know. I, uh, that would be beautiful. I would, I would enjoy that very much, though. We'll hike. We'll hike. We'll get into it. Exactly. Well, uh, dude, thank you very much for hanging out. I honestly, yeah, I, I knew I was going to enjoy this. And, you know, sometimes the people that are closest to me, I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll get around to talking to them. But then I was like, no, man, <laughs> we got to we got to break this in. Yeah, man. Dude, just thank you so much for doing it. I mean, I'm honored to be in such great company. Like your guests are some of my my heroes you know as a kid as a, as an adult so i mean to be to be amongst the greats is uh is humbling man thank you so much so there we have it that was donnie and um yeah you absolutely have to check out his uh his studio his work um you can just you, you can easily google it but uh his, the name of his studio is khil studios and you can find all of his awesome work there if you're in a band if you're looking for someone to uh you know work with uh donnie is the man he's done so much great stuff so thank you very much donnie for carving out some time in your day and it was a, a great chat um yeah please like i said have a good christmas have a good holiday enjoy that time slow it down and um yeah, hopefully you listen to the podcast still, right? <laughs> like I said, next week is a bonus episode. It's not your traditional one-on-one interview. It's kind of a uh, roundtable discussion that I have in the van with my fellow bandmates that I think will be uh, fun for you to listen to. So yeah, until then, please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.